Hey kiddo, welcome to the Inspire to Engage podcast, where we talk marketing for small business owners, how we can serve our existing clients well, and ways for us to engage more with potential clients. And of course, we'll talk some about the juggles and struggles to do all of this while still having a life. I'm your host, Rachel Eubanks, and I'm so happy that you're here. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to this new episode. My brother-in-law, Ben Eubanks, I interviewed him back in episode 13. It seems like a million years ago, but that episode was about pivoting as a business owner during COVID-19. And a piece of advice that he gave resonated with me, and it's something I've taken to heart. In fact, I've taken it to heart in this episode. He said, be sure to look outside of your niche, outside of the group of businesses that you typically lump yourself together with. Look outside of that. Learn from them. See what they're doing because you can probably adjust some of the great things that they're doing to help you inside your business, inside to help your marketing, to help your sales move better, to move quickly, more efficiently, and more effectively. Well, I told you I took that to heart. And on this episode, I reached way outside of the writing realm, the marketing realm, the creative realm, and I went to the tech world. Think Silicon Valley, baby, except I think she's living in Canada. But seriously, Silicon Valley, tech world all day, every day. My guest is April Dunford, and she's going to talk about positioning. Where does your service and product fit in your customer's eyes? That's the key. Let me give you a quick example that's straight out of my house. Recently, I walked into my living room to find it covered in Hot Wheels tracks and Hot Wheels themselves. And there was one particular item that really caught my attention, but and I'll get to that in just a second. But what my boys discovered is that they could take clamps and clamp their Hot Wheel tracks. They're really long Hot Wheel tracks, the ones they put together with different pieces. They could clamp those long Hot Wheels tracks to the doorknob. And so therefore, as you can imagine, it looks like a roller coaster. It has this crazy steep start. You put your car up there and it just starts and goes straight downhill. And then it shoots off the end and they run and they go measure and figure out how far their car went and whose car went the went the farthest most of the time it's fun and games until it ends in a brawl that my husband and I have to get involved in but up until then it's it's fantastic fun but what stuck out to me besides the clamps on the doorknob and the hot wheel cars everywhere toilet paper rolls they had started using rolls of toilet paper as fortification for their Hot Wheels tracks. What they discovered, some of these tracks at the ankles that they had on were just a little wobbly still for their car. They needed something underneath that was just going to prop it up just the right angle. I don't know how they jumped to the conclusion that toilet paper rolls would be perfect, but that's exactly what they started to do. Now, I tell you that funny story or that silly story to say that 
we adults look at toilet paper and we think it belongs in the bathroom and it is used to clean up bodily functions. Except for when it was in middle school, when we were in middle school and it was used to roll yards sometimes. But we know better now. Moving forward, that's how we see toilet paper. My boys looked at it differently. They saw a different use for toilet paper. They positioned that item differently in their minds than what we adults typically do. I give you that silly example to say that's what positioning is about, is making sure that our vision, the copy, the words that we speak out loud, the social media posts that we create, all of those things are positioned the same as how our customers are viewing and using our services and products. I think you will love this episode with April. I know I learned a lot and I can't wait to share this chat with you. Without further ado, here is April Dunford and our chat about positioning. Enjoy. April, I am so happy that you are here today. I'm a huge fan. We've talked a little bit prior to hitting record, so you can probably tell that I'm definitely fangirling just a little bit here. <laughs> I um, I recorded, I created my first online course, I want to say last summer, and I was, I was really having a hard time figuring out how I was going to talk about this course. And I'm a copywriter. That, that's, a, that's an issue. That is something that I face for other businesses all the time. And so to say that I was frustrated and disgruntled is, is an understatement. And I don't even remember what I Googled that day, but I landed on a talk that you did. It was recorded. It was on YouTube. And I found myself leaning in and listening intently. And the ironic thing to me was that this talk was to tech gurus, you know, sales directors, marketing directors of tech companies. And I was leaning in and all about what you were saying. And it dawned on me right then that positioning is not something that just needs to be talked about with really large companies. It needs to be talked about with very small businesses as well. And so I just put on my brave pants and I reached out to you and said, will you be on my podcast? And you agree. Oh, and I've got one other little side thing too that I haven't even told you this either. I bought your book that day. I think you mentioned it in the talk or it was in the description on the YouTube and the book is called Obviously Awesome. And I bought it that day. And the reason that's kind of funny is I am an outlier for most companies. The sales cycle to, to sell to me is years, takes me a long time to buy from somebody. And the day that I watched your video, I bought your book. So kudos to you. And I've marked it up, looked at it. It's working. (laughs) It is, it is, it is. So anyway, I'm going to be quiet. I want you to introduce yourself to this fantastic audience. Well, thank you. And thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate that introduction. Um, So I'm April. I spent 25 years as a repeat vice president of marketing at a series of successful startups. All in, I did seven startups. Um, And the reason there's so many is because six of them got acquired. So that meant I worked at some big companies too. 
but about five years ago, I guess I, I decided to switch gears and I wanted to, to do consulting and, um, and now that's what I do. And so very specifically, I focus on positioning. I don't do anything else. I don't do copywriting. I don't do messaging. I don't do branding. I don't do any of those things. I just do positioning. Um, and generally I work for tech companies, um, uh, and, and even more specifically, like B2B tech companies that do really heavy duty tech. But um, but yeah, that's my jam. And I have a book and I, do, and I do a bit of public speaking, but mainly I'm a consultant for tech companies. I focus on positioning. And I have to say that I love her book. I've already said that. Um, obviously awesome. And the funny thing you have, one of the st starting quotes says, I frequently speak at tech and marketing conferences. And when I tell organizers, I want to talk about positioning, <laughs> their answer is always the same. Don't you have something cooler to talk about? <laughs> and I thought about that quote. Well, when you that is not a made up story. Either. No. Like, I'm, like, I'm like, I got this great talk and it's about positioning. And they're like, yeah, can you talk about some cool like growth hacking or, you know, and, and I'm like, no, no, you don't understand. Everybody needs this one. It's the cough medicine talk. You don't want it, but it's good for you. <laughs> you know, that, that's, a, that's a funny analogy, but you hit the nail on the head that this is something that we don't want to do. And that's when I got into your book and I was really reading mm. and digesting it. I see this as a copywriter. And this is why I told you this was really important that we have this talk with, with, uh, with my audience is that positioning is figuring out, well, I'm going to let you say it, but is a point is something that we don't want to do, but it's so crucial. So give us yeah. a, a simple definition of what positioning is for someone who's never heard about this. Yeah. So, so th there's a few ways you can think about positioning, but, but th so my definition is, Positioning defines how our product, our offering, is the best in the world at delivering something, some kind of value, to a very well-defined set of customers. So that sounds like a big definition, but it, it's kind of because positioning kind of defines, like, who do we compete against? How are we different? why should customers choose us and which kind of customers should choose us and what's the market we intend to win? It's a lot of stuff. It's kind of the input to everything we do in marketing. Like if we say, we, like, let's take copywriting, right? Mm -hmm. So we're going to write copy. Well, who's the copy for? <laughs> and, and who's my competitor and how am I different? I, I kind of need to know all this stuff first before I can put words on the page. And so a lot of times we don't think about positioning because we just think it kind of is what it is. Like, like we'll say, you know, I've, I've got this thing and, you know, I work with tech companies and mm -hmm. they'll say, I've got a thing and it's email. And I'll say, okay, is it though? Because email and chat are kind of the exact same things. 90% feature overlap, in fact. And so sometimes you could think of something as always one thing, but then you could maybe pick it up, put it in a different market, and it seems like a completely different thing. And so, but we kind of think like, well, it is what it is. It can only be this one thing. But most of the time, products can be positioned in lots of different ways. And, you know, I can say, well, what is this thing? Well, it's a, it's a screwdriver. No, it's not. It's a bottle opener. No, it's not. It's for holding my door open. No, it's not. It's for scraping paint. No, it's not. It's, but it's all the same thing. So we don't, we don't think about it that way, but 
but the more we can deliberately position our products so that they're in a context that customers can really understand what's special about them, the better off we're going to be. So, so well said. In fact, Cher, you and I were talking before we press record, before we pressed, before I pressed record, I'm sorry, I'll get it out. We were talking about an example that you had in the book. And I told you, I said, this example is so simple. It's so straight point, straight on point. Share that the cake and the muffin example. And you can even tell them about how that, how you came up. Yeah. So I'll tell you the the genesis of this story is funny. So, um, so, you know, I'm, I'm mainly selling to tech CEOs and tech CEOs are, you know, they don't know anything about marketing. So I'm trying to describe what positioning is and it's kind of an advanced marketing topic. Right. So I'm, you know, so I'm trying to describe it and I have all these examples of companies in the tech space that I repositioned. So, you know, I, I give them an example. Well, we had this thing and we thought it was a database, but it turned out it was a business intelligence tool. And the techie people would be like, well, what kind of database and what platform was it running on? And what was this, you know? And I'm like, that's not the point, that's not the point. But so then I thought, well, I need something that's really not tech that just takes all of that out of it. So I need a good non-technical example of something, a product that could be positioned in multiple ways. So, uh, so the next morning I'm, I'm standing in line at the coffee shop. (laughs) And so I'm at the coffee shop and I'm going to get a coffee and I'm thinking about getting a little breakfast and there's a big sign and it says, try our new double chocolate salted caramel muffin and I'm like that is not a muffin (laughs) that is a piece of cake and you are positioning it as a muffin so I don't feel bad about buying it for breakfast (laughs) and then I got thinking about you know think about muffin versus cake this is the it almost like the exact same Mm -hmm. product but if I tell you it's a piece of cake well, then who's my competition? It's, it's ice cream, it's tiramisu, it's, it's, it's pie, it's, you know, other things you eat for dessert. And where do I sell that? I sell it in the restaurant. How much does it cost? Well, it costs $10, $15, maybe it's a fancy restaurant. Uh, whereas I can take the same product and say, no, no, this thing's a muffin. It's a muffin. Well, all of a sudden now it's breakfast and now I compete with, with donuts and, and <laughs> Danish and a bagel and whatever. And what do I sell that for? Like buck 50 maximum, that's mm-hmm. it. But I can sell a lot more of them. And, you know, so, so the, the context that you weave around a product really matters. If I, if I call it a muffin, I'll make a whole bunch of assumptions about who my competitors are, what the pricing is, what it's all about, what time of the day it's acceptable to eat it. (laughs) (laughs) And if I take the same product and position it as cake, well, you know, I I buy it in a different place. I pay a different amount for it. I'm comparing it against different competition, but it's the same product. So context matters a lot. And it does. And that example made so much sense to me. And I was like, oh, she's right. And then that story about you talking to the tech, I cracked up. I'm like, that, that's, that, there you go, right there. Okay, so your book does a great job. In fact, the whole goal of the book is for someone to end the book and be able to write a position document. Right. We may talk here in a second about your complete disdain for the traditional <laughs> position statement. We may talk about it here in a second. Sure. But yeah. the goal of her book is to walk you through to have a position document when you get finished. And so to do that, 
you take us through six components. You call them the five plus one components right. of determining your products or your services position. Right. So can you walk us through those six components? I may, I may stop you here and there to ask a quick sure. question, but would you mind talking to, um, talking to us about what those are? Sure. So, um, so yeah, so if, you know, so the, if we want to do positioning, the easiest way to do it is to split positioning into pieces, solve for the component pieces and then put them together. So the, the component pieces of positioning are um, competitive alternatives. That's the first one. So what would customers do if your thing didn't exist or your company didn't exist? How would they solve the problem that you solve? Then the second thing is uh, differentiated capabilities. So what can you do that the alternative things can't do? Um, the next one is value for customers. So you've got features, but so what for customers? You've got this capability. What does that help a customer do? Or what does it mean to their business? Um, and then what customers are we talking about? So the next component is um, um, customers that care. So who are your target customers? And then the last bit is uh, market category, which is a little bit like, you know, am I cake or a muffin? You know, mm -hmm. it's like, mm -hmm. what is the context that I'm going to weave around my product um, to help it make sense to the people I'm trying to sell it to? Um, the sixth one is sort of a bonus, which is trends, but we can, we can talk about that one later. Okay. So the, the way you actually figure each of these components out is you have to work through them in a really specific order. So if I try to just start with like, well, what's the value I provi provide for customers? You know, you can't just make this up out of nothing, right? And so every one of the pieces of positioning kind of relies on the other pieces. We have to start with competitive alternatives. If we don't start there, then what we end up with is positioning. It sounds kind of good in the office, but it doesn't actually sell when we try to sell it to customers. So the first thing is, is to understand what do customers compare you to? So there's kind of two kinds of competitors. There's direct competitors, like, like let's say you're a little agency and you do uh, creative stuff. You're like a design agency. So you might think your competitors are just all the other design agencies out there. But you know, in fact, if you go and talk to your customers and say, well, what would you do if I didn't exist? They might say, well, you know, we got a guy internally. He's, he's, he's not really a designer, but, you know, he does okay <laughs> on the art. Yep. <laughs> and so, you know, so there's that. Or they might say, well, you know, I, I go on Fiverr, maybe uh, hire somebody on Fiverr. So, so your competitive alternatives could be things that don't actually look just like you, right? In the same way that a muffin competes with a, a, a Danish. <laughs> They're really different things. Um, but, but, you know, it, if it's an alternative way of solving the problem, then that counts. So the first thing is to understand that. And then the rest of the, the positioning exercise flows from there. So we have to, first we have to understand who, who's, what's you know, the alternative way of getting the thing done. Then once we have that kind of stake in the ground, then we can say, well, what have we got that they don't have, right? So what have I got that, 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 that Joey, you know, who does stick people in <laughs> Illustrator, <laughs> you know, what have we got that he doesn't have um, in terms of capabilities or if, you know, if we're talking about a product, it's features, right? So what mm -hmm. features have we got that, that the alternatives don't have? And those are just features. 
But then we got to take those features and translate it to value, right? So the value is kind of why does it matter for your business? So, you know, like, so, so if, so once we have value, we understand why it's important for the customer. Once we have that, then we can say, well, what kind of customers care about that value? Not everybody does, right? So um, what are the characteristics of a target customer that makes them a really good fit for my business? Because they care a lot about the value that I can uniquely deliver. That's how we get the value. And then the last bits market category, which is a bit like, um, you know, am I muffin or cake? Um, am I a, a, a database or a CRM? Am I email or am I chat? Um, this helps people sort of get oriented in, you know, well, what exactly are you? It doesn't take the place of all your messaging or anything else, mm -hmm. but it just kind of gets people oriented in the right part of town. That's a great, and I want to I wanted to go back to the competitive alternatives and you yeah. said something eye opening in your book mm -hmm. that I know I see in my business as a copywriter and even as a course creator. And you probably see as a consultant too, is a competitive alternative really is that they may do nothing. And I yeah. had never thought about that. Right. People don't always know that consultants for positioning even exist. Even exist. Or right. That copywriters <laughs> exist. Or fill in the blank. There are, and I just thought that was very brilliant to point out that sometimes your compet your competition is that they're not going to act. Is they're no just going to keep on. Because I don't even, I don't even know I have the problem. In some yes. ways, do nothing competitor is the most fearsome, right? I because totally agree. What it means is that the, 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 the customer doesn't even know they have the problem. They don't, they're not conscious of the pain. And so in those cases, you're almost marketing the problem, right? Like yes. You actually, you have to actually get the customer to be aware of the problem. Like, so in my case, I'll use me as an example. Yeah. So I'm the positioning consultant. And so I'm selling to tech CEOs. They don't even know they have a positioning problem. No. <laughs> so they're not going to call me to fix a problem they don't even know they have, right? Mm -hmm. So how I solved that problem is, well, you know, so the first way I solved it was, I, I'm speaking at conferences. So mm -hmm. I had to, you know, first I had to convince the conference <laughs> organizers to let me even speak, but you know, but once I got over that hurdle, then I get up on stage and I start this talk by saying, you know, you ever have this thing where you're on a call with a customer and you're trying to describe your product and you're like, Hey, we've got this thing and it's amazing. And it does this and it does that. And it does the other thing. And then you get to the end of the call and you think you got them all sold and they go, so what is it again? <laughs> and whenever I give that scenario, you know, you'd look out in the audience and there'd be one or two guys out there who would get this look on their face like, uh, I have that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or you say, you ever get this thing where you listen in on a sales call and you do your whole pitch and then at the end, the customer does think they know what you do, but it's wrong. Like, they'll say, <laughs> so, like so you're like email and you're like, no, we're not email, idiots. <laughs> so like, and again, you'll get this flash of like people in the audience going, oh, and then afterwards, you know, a handful of people would come up and go, 
I didn't know that's what you called it, but we have that problem. <laughs> Can you come and help us? And then, you know, and then, then I would get the word of mouth. Like you work with, you work with one CEO and then, they, you know, they hear their friend complaining about it and say, oh, I, I know something about this. That's called positioning and you need to call that gal. And then later I wrote a book about it. And now, you know, people read the book and in the book, they have that same experience. Like, here's what the problem is. Here's how to recognize it. If you have that, this is a methodology that might be able to help you. So yeah, if you have this do nothing as your competitor, basically you become an evangelist for the problem. It <laughs> feels weird, but you right. are right. You do. Right. You I'm do a poster have- child for customer confusion. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I, that was so eye opening to me when you mentioned that sometimes they don't even know they have a problem, and your yeah. your your competition is that they're going to do nothing and keep on limping through. And I know definitely for service-based businesses, that is something that we see all the time. And so we have to become evangelists for the problem. That's what, that's what April just taught us right here. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. And like, like people like copywriting is a good example of that. Mm -hmm. Yes. Like, like if you think about tech companies, like, uh, you know, mainly you've got people writing copy that have no business writing copy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they only got a degree in engineering or something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and they're slapping words on the page and they don't even know the difference between good copy and not co- good copy. Yes. And so it's one of these things like they almost have to see really good copy and then have someone say, now let me point out all the reasons why this is good, not just your gut, but why it's actually great copy. And then this little light goes on. Like when I used to be VP marketing, I actually have a degree in engineering. So I'm one of these people that ended up in marketing that shouldn't be there, but I know <laughs> I'm a terrible copywriter. So I, so I go in, I'm the VP marketing. The first thing I'm doing is I got to hire somebody that can write because you want me writing the copy. That's bad. <laughs> I have to sell it to my boss and say, look, you don't want me writing the copy. And so I would always have like two or three sites where I knew the copy was really great. And I'd pull up our site and then I'd pull up, you know, site B. And I was like, okay, listen to how we describe this. It's clunky and terrible. Now listen to how these guys talk about it. And you could kind of, again, you got to kind of show them, here's what life is like now. Here's what life could be. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine your life. You got to sell the dream. You do. You have, you have to sell the dream. And I I agree with you on there. And so the book is full of those things that, you know, maybe in your gut is not right, but April's really put the words to it. You go, Oh, that's why this isn't working for me. Or this is why my clients don't understand what it is I was trying to do. And so if you think, and in fact, April opens the book in the introduction, she even talks about that this book is for you, or you may have a positioning problem and she lists two or three and one of them, yeah. I'm just going to read them really quickly. One of them is, one of them is if your current customers love you, but your new prospects can't figure out what you're doing. Yeah. Um, another one is if you have a really long sales cycle and your close rates are really low, yeah. you really may have a positioning problem. Your high customer churn and um, you're under price pressure. Now the price pressure I know is going to stand out to my audience because Mm. a lot of us are currently in this phase that we've been in business now for three to seven years and we're recognizing that we need to raise our prices. So as you can imagine, April, there is this pushback 
in our gut of raising our prices. Oh my, oh my goodness. It's my, so scary. Yes. My customers are not going to get it. Or my new customers are going to say, that's not what you were charging last year for this. Right. So I do want to differentiate between raising your prices and then also at the same time, telling you, someone telling you that it's too expensive, Yeah. but you know, in your gut or not even in your gut, you know that you have done your work as far as positioning. You've done your work as far as I know what I offer in this package and the price is on point. There right. is that difference between, no, I haven't done the work and I really don't know what the market I just is. Wish, I just wish I could charge more. <laughs> right. And so, right. I, yeah, that's just something. So I just wanted to clarify that. But those are four things that if you are experiencing that, you really may have a position problem. Well, I think price pressure is an interesting one, right? Yeah. Because a lot of times you get price pressure because the, the customer doesn't really understand mm-hmm. the value. Right. Mm-hmm. They, they understand what you do. They just don't understand why it's worth that much to them. So, well like, said. For, you know, again, if I if I if I use copywriting as an example, mm-hmm. right, like uh, like a lot of CEOs don't actually understand the relationship between copy and leads. Like you got to mm-hmm. spell that out to them. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. If the copy's better, then it converts better. If it converts better, you get more leads. If you get more leads, you know what happened? Revenue goes up. Like, what's it worth to you if you close one more deal this month? You know, that's just that cost, right? And 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 let's put that up versus my price. Like for me in my business, so I started out and and people were saying, well, you know, we have other marketing consultants that we've worked with and they don't charge anything like what you charge. You know, in fact, they, they charge by the hour and you've got this project fee and I don't like that. And can't we just hire you for a couple hours and do whatever. And at the beginning that used to drive me crazy. And so I got better and better at expressing the value and communicating the value of what I do. Um, and now uh, when I go in, I basically say, look, like, you can position your company on your own. There is, and I've done it. I used to be a VP marketing. You can do it. And in fact, I even have a book and it's a guidebook. It costs eight bucks. (laughs) Do it. Have at it. Mm -hmm. And, And here's why you should hire. Here's when you should hire me. When you should hire me is when you've attempted to do that and it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And it usually doesn't work for a handful of reasons. One is you got a bunch of people on your team with really big opinions and having an outside facilitator helps a lot with that. And, and usually you'll get this bit of recognition because, you know, tech companies, people are opinionated. And so (laughs) particularly the CEO, he's the guy with the opinions. So, so you've got the CEO sort of looking at me like, yes, I understand this opinion, (laughs) strong opinions thing. The other thing I'll say is, look, a lot of tech CEOs come to me and they kind of think they know what the positioning is, mm. but they can't just dictate it to their team and tell them to go because their team's not like that. Like, And so the last thing you want is sales out there with one story and marketing with another story and support with another story and your product team are building something against another story. And so you could figure this out, but it might take you three, four months and you might get it wrong the first time and have a misstep and do it again. And so what's that worth it to you? So we're out of this, like, I know a marketing consultant somewhere kind of, sort of that, <laughs> you know, yeah. charges 50 bucks an hour. Why don't you? Like, I'm in there trying to put it in terms of the value to their business. Like, what's three months of their time worth? 
right? And then if you are going to bring in someone from the outside, well, there isn't anybody but me that's as specialized on this, right? And that specialization is valuable because it takes the, it, it takes the risk out of it. Like you can go do it yourself. You might not get the best result. You could go do it with someone else. Maybe you get something good, maybe you don't. But if you do it with me, I've done it with 150 companies and I only do tech and I only do B2B. And that's just like your company. And people are coming to me, they got great confidence that we're going to get a good result because I'm so specialized in that area. So because I'm so specialized, I can charge a premium for that because you know, you're paying for the peace of mind that, yeah, we're gonna get it done. We're gonna get it done efficiently, fast. We're gonna get a really good result. And we hired the, you know, the, the best expert we could possibly hire for the job. Mm. And by the way, you don't get the best expert for the job for nothing. You don't. <laughs> and if I had a tech company, I'd be signing you up, April. I mean, I like that. <laughs> that, that right there worked for me. I'm like, sign her up right there. Yeah. Um, that, that reminded me of another episode that we did recently. It was episode 43, I believe. And Jamie Klaus, she's a sales, uh, sales consultant. And that was a lot of her conversation was about seeing yourself as an expert and selling yourself as an expert, not as an hourly, hourly employee at your own business. That's right. And that's a, basically your sales pitch right there was like, I'm not an hourly employee at my business. I am this expert. And so as small business owners, I think that sometimes with the word small in front of the word business, we, we take that internally. Yeah small okay so small yeah but you're not right like nobody knows more about the thing that you do than you right like like you should be able to and and that's why getting specialized is actually a superpower Mm -hmm. in this and it it feels scary because it feels like gosh I'm so specialized like how many customers are there and I've really narrowed it down and do I really want to say no to everybody that sells consumer goods and you know and for me specializing has been the key to everything it's it's Mm -hmm. like the more specialized i go the more business i get wow (laughs) we want to hear that it's because i've eliminated all this competition and people want someone that can crush the problem that they've got and the more you can give them confidence like I am literally the world expert in this tiny little thing. Like, I don't know a lot about a lot of things, (laughs) but there's one thing that I know an awful lot about, and it's this. And that's what people want. That what what I'm selling is peace of mind, that we're going to get to the right thing here, and it's going to be as good as it possibly can be. And you're right. That's that's really what we're all selling is peace of mind. In, in whatever, it doesn't matter if you're, if you make jewelry and someone buys from you, they want peace of mind that that jewelry is going to stay together. It's going to look beautiful or it's right. going to make, make a impact as a gift. It doesn't matter if you're a photographer, peace of mind that my images are going to be beautiful. And so you're right. It doesn't really matter. Like what photography is a great example. Like I got this photographer so I, so I got to get headshots because I'm doing this book and the book people are like, we need a book jacket photo. And I'm like, oh gosh, like, so, <laughs> you know, so I better go get some beautiful shots. And, and so I'm like, ah, I need a headshot guy. So, you know, so I'm asking around everybody who knows a headshot person and there's like, somebody's got their friend, you know, and I'm like, I don't know if your friend's going to be good. Like, you know, I don't mind spending some money on this. Yeah. But I need, because, you know, I might sell a bajillion copies of this book and everyone's going to see this picture. 
<laughs> so I'm like, this picture is important. I do not care about the price of it. What I really want is a great looking picture. So eventually somebody recommends me uh, to this guy and I look up his website and and he's he's the headshot guy. Like he does there's, you know, he doesn't do any other kind. He doesn't do wedding photography. He doesn't do family stuff. He does headshots. He mainly does headshots for like actors. <laughs> and I'm like, perfect. That's what I need. That's what I need. <laughs> but I want to look like one. Yes. <laughs> and he's got and it's so and it's super easy to buy from him. He's like, buy the headshot pack shot package. <laughs> comes with this this and this we get all this stuff it includes retouching you get blah 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 blah. i'll even bring my makeup gal in to make you look like a movie star i'm like sold (laughs) and the guy was so great like so i showed up and i'm like this is this is the best thing possible but it was like all the other photographers i looked at they were like i do headshots but i also do weddings and i also do this and i also do that this guy was three times more expensive than anybody else but you should see my headshot. Like my skin has never looked like that. <laughs> like, like, like I look amazing. Like I look too good. I look so good that I show up to do public speaking and people are like, oh, not as advertised. <laughs> who, knew, who knew that the part of your problem now is that you have too good of a photographer. I look too good. No, you know like, what? Like, literally, like if I go, I, I got to go back and get new headshots at some point. But the next time I'm going to be like, take it easy a little bit on the Photoshop on the face there. Cause I need a few wrinkles on there or else people are going to look, people are going to be like disappointed when the real me shows up. <laughs> that is so funny. That is so funny. No, listen, I'm looking at you right now on zoom. Now where I'm, I'm only publishing this as, as a podcast. You look gorgeous. I'm telling you. Thank you. Your skin Thank looks you. great. Your looks Thank great. You. It looks just like the picture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking to see. So is it on this book that I actually own of yours? I'm looking to see. I don't you know. Think- in the end, in the end, we went back and forth. And I don't even know if they put the. Uh, it's not on the. It's not on the paperback that I see. But oh, I not. have you know, I've so seen you somewhere. Maybe it didn't even make it in there. I think if you go in the back, like the second last page or something, oh, there's an about okay. the author or something with my picture. Surely there's there's got to be. Oh but, um But I did have one. to use it for all the promo, right? So of it's of course like, you do. You know, I got the landing page and I got the thing, and then and then whenever you go speak at a conference, they need a headshot and all this stuff. So yeah. And you got a really good one. It's an example of that specialization, right? Like, you know, I I got a problem and I need it solved. And like some people will be price sensitive. Like some people, the headshot doesn't matter, Mm -hmm. right? Like they'll Mm -hmm. be like, I just need a headshot for work and no one's going to see it or whatever. And they go to the cheap headshot guy, Mm -hmm. right? But some people, and this is important, this idea of segmentation, like it's the same thing with me in positioning. Like some people some companies are really, really small and they don't have any budget and, and, you know, they don't, they can't hire, they're not even paying themselves, let alone hiring me. Right. Those folks, the book is the right product for that. Mm -hmm. And they should go and just do it themselves. And then there's other folks that are like, they don't, you know, they're not really sold that positioning is a problem. They're not really sold that, 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 that it's worth it to spend the big bucks to have me in. But that's, there are some people where, you know, they read the book, they get it, they feel the pain. And, you know, they don't want just anybody to come in and fix the 
positioning. They want the best possible person they can get. And it's the same thing with me and my headshot thing. You know, I was very price insensitive about it. It was like, I don't care if it costs a thousand bucks. I want beautiful headshots. <laughs> like, Give me the beautiful headshot. He didn't cost that much, by the way. But, but, you know, but I was, I, I would have paid that. Yes, he could charge me more. <laughs> you're not charging enough, dude. <laughs> You're going to charge me more. Yeah, no, it was good. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Great example of, of really, like you said, getting specific. Okay. Yeah. So I know we're running up on time. Let me ask you, I've got uh, two quick questions left for you. Well, this, I, we'll see if this one, this one's a loaded one to a small business owner. Who's just heard about positioning today. Maybe they are going to go buy your book. Maybe they're not, but they're interested what would you tell them is the starting point Mm. of positioning? Well, you know, here's the thing, like methodology, like the way I actually do positioning, the starting point is this idea of competitors. Mm -hmm. And And I do think it's a good idea for everybody to sit down and really think about that from a customer point of view. And it doesn't matter if you're selling photography or jewelry or consulting, like, from what is what are the choices your customer is trying to make so who's on their short list like like are they actually trying to choose between you and another photographer are they trying to choose between you and no photographs at all or you you know you and same thing with like 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 for me as a consultant right at the beginning people were people kept trying to compare me to you know uh, an agency or uh, or copywriters or or people that do you know all kinds of marketing consulting and but when i when i talk to my happy customers and i'd say well what would you do mm-hmm. if i didn't exist none of those things came up like that that's not my competition at all my competition was do nothing Mm -hmm. lumber along with this terrible positioning forever and so that really got me focused on what I need to do is actually sell the problem and get these people aware of the problem that's that's what my problem is but I think it's a good place to start to kind of think about what do your customers see as alternatives to you and and you know and what would they do if you don't exist and are you making it clear why you versus the other path they could take in something you said right there, I want to point out, it's something near and dear to my heart as a copywriter. It's a service that I offer. You said from your customer's point of view, you make that distinction in the book that a lot of times Mm -hmm. as owners or as the creators of this service or product, we pick out our competitors. But when you spend time talking to the people who have bought from you or who you think are going to buy, and you literally ask them, well, if you didn't buy from me, if I didn't exist, what would you do? And a lot of times you gave, you gave an example or two in the book. I don't remember the specific examples, but I remember thinking, oh, that's right. That sometimes as the creator, we think we know the competition. That's not who our customers are comparing us to. So I loved what you said, talking to your happy customers. And you even mentioned that if you don't have happy customers yet, maybe you haven't got your, your footing, you haven't started to just start talking to the people around you that might be potential customers. I mean, that's right. sometimes I tell people it can even come from your family and your friend pool. 
hey, you know, be a little careful because your friend, you know, your family and your friend, you know, they don't, they don't want to, they don't want to say bad things about your, about your idea. Yes. But yeah, I think you can start by, you can start by this way in software, we call this customer discovery, which is, yeah. you know, we're just having conversations with people that could potentially be buyers. And we're trying to think, we're trying to figure out their problems and figure out, you know, what, what they need and what they don't need and how they make choices and what are they doing today in this area and how would our stuff fit into that? Yeah. But yeah. So I think, I think it's a, it's a good place to start. If you do have customers, it's a great place to start to go back to your happy customers and say, so what were you doing before? Like, <laughs> you know, what were you doing before? And then what made you decide to do something different? Like, how did you get, how'd you get to me? Right. And when you, before you picked me, did you look at other things? And what were those other things? And those then, are great so, questions. And then you pick me. So why? <laughs> yeah, how did I know? <laughs> I'm just jotting them down. I love those questions. Like I, I talk to my customers all the time about this because I'm always curious. Mm-hmm. And, and it's interesting. They, you know, they, it, it's very consistent. The answers are very consistent. They'll say, you know, we were having some problems in sales or whatever, but, you know, we knew we had, there, we had something going on, but we didn't really know what it was. And then something, and then the, the thing that happened was either they saw me at a conference, they went to a conference and I did the talk and they went, Ooh, or their friend said, oh, have you ever heard of this book? Uh, you know, and then they read my book and then they read the book and then they're like, oh my God, this is our problem. And then I say, well, did you talk to anybody else? And they're like, well, no, you, you're the person that wrote the book. Yeah. <laughs> I want the person that does this. <laughs> well, and for you, from a marketing standpoint, you're like, my marketing's working, getting in front of people and, and my book, my content that's out there that's for sale all the time, it's working. It's, it it's, yeah, it's, right bringing, it's bringing me people. Right now it's working. Yeah. So that, you know, then you have the problem is like, you know, you have something that works and it, it works, but generally it doesn't work forever. <laughs> that's a whole other podcast the, episode, right? Yeah. Then you got to think, think about the next thing, but um, you know, and what will eventually happen if you're, if you're onto a really good thing, what will eventually happen is you'll get all kinds of competitors pop up that do a thing that looks an awful lot like you because you're being successful with it, you know, and, and, you know, there should be lots of me doing it. There seems to be a lot of demand. So then it becomes, well, how do I, you know, how do I maintain my differentiation, even though I got copycats around now? Mm. And, you know, there's ways to do that too. Right. So again, it's like, again, why do you want me versus the copycat? Well, copycat hasn't done it 150 times yet. (laughs) I've done it 150 times. Here's the people. Copycat doesn't quite have my references yet. Copycat didn't invent the methodology that they're using. I did. (laughs) Wow. You know, that so it's that kind of stuff. And if you are super price sensitive, you can't afford it, then you should pick them, right? I'm the premium version. And so a copycat could come in and position themselves as, you know, the cheap, cheerful version. And I think there's probably room for that in the market. And that's okay. I, I, I like that attitude. Sometimes I, I can't, I literally can't service all the business that comes to me right now. So, you know, and if, if, and you should be okay with saying, look, I don't do that part of the market, right? Like, again, if you think about my, my headshot photographer, right? Yeah. He's decided he doesn't, he doesn't do corporate headshots because he's the artistic headshot guy, mm-hmm. right? So he's like, yeah. he's like, if you need one headshot, cause you're going to be a movie star, he's the guy. So, <laughs> so he doesn't do corporate headshots. He doesn't do, and he just doesn't do that. And so he just says no to that business and people call him and he just says, no, I'm not that guy. 
and he has another person he recommends. Just do him. He says he's cheaper. He'll come to your office. It'll be fine. He says, I do it in a studio where I can control it. This is my thing. And that's why he can charge premium for it. He's a specialist. Mm. But he's not afraid to say no to business either. And that's when you know you really got something good is when you have enough confidence to say, I got a pipeline full of people that fit exactly my profile. You know, I don't, I don't need to take business that isn't a great fit. And I shouldn't because all the business I take, that's a really good fit just makes me better and better and better at the one thing that I do. That is true. That is true. And I think sometimes as business owners, we know we will sell to somebody that in our gut, we know this is Uh, not use the phrase. I like it. Best fit customer. Use that in your book. We know in our gut that this is not an ideal customer. This is not a best fit. And we take it anyway. And you're right in the end. It's we're miserable as a business owner. The product is or service is not the best that it could be because we right. knew in the beginning this was not going to work for us. But if we are courageous enough to say no in situations that don't fit us, <clears throat> then we're just yeah. going to continue that domino effect of great experience after great experience for our customers. And it's for just, the customers. Yes. Like the customers aren't happy, right? If it's not mm-hmm. a great fit, customers, and that's a killer in a services business, right? Mm-hmm. You can't have people walking around going, yeah, we did a thing with her. She's all right. Like that's true. That's true. Like it's killer. You got to like smash everyone you get. And so you shouldn't take it unless you're feeling like you can smash it. And it's hard, right? Because at the beginning you're broke and you don't have a pipeline and you're like, you know, you need to eat. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, you're going to, you're going to have to take some stuff at the beginning, but, but once you get to the point where, you know, you're making some good money, I think you need to really get deliberate about the choices you make and only say yes to the stuff that you know you can really smash. And that's how you build a really good reputation quickly, right? Is that, and you know what else? Customers love it when you tell them, no, you're not a fit. Like they do. Honestly, they, I have companies come to me and I say, look, you're not a fit, whatever. And they refer me to other people. They're like, (laughs) oh my God, I'm so happy you said that. Right. So they'll come and I'll say, look, I don't really do consumer and you guys are consumer and I'm not comfortable. Or they'll come and I'll say, you know what? I think you're a little bit too early. Go away. Keep working on it. Six months from now you do it, but I don't think, you know, we could do it, but I don't think we're going to get a good result. You won't be happy. Yeah. And and everybody's happy because I'm telling the truth. Yes. I'm going to take you unless we can smash this thing together. And usually they're happy and they go away and they tell their friends about me and stuff. It's funny, <laughs> but yeah. So you're I like, think we should. And then the ones that I do take, you know, I don't, you know, we're not, we, I don't smash 100% of them, but of 99 not. of them I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we're proud of you. We're proud of you. I, I totally believe it. I've so enjoyed this talk with you. And it's to me, very fun to know that, niches that are very different can still learn from each other. And that's very powerful. So before we get off, please tell my fantastic listeners where they can learn or maybe learn more about you or definitely buy the book. Yeah. So the, the book is available wherever you buy books like Amazon or wherever else. And there's a, there's a paperback book and an ebook and there's an audio book. If that's your jam, wherever you buy audio books, you can find it there. It's called obviously awesome. 
Um, so you can find it there. My website is aprildunford.com. Like I said, I, I mainly only work with tech companies yep. of a certain size or whatever. So, you know, but, um, but if you go on my website, there's some templates there that go with the book that might be useful. And then, you know, I'm not a very good blogger, but there is, there are some blog posts on there that might be, that might be interesting. And yeah, if you Google me on YouTube, there's lots of video of me standing on stage doing my thing. That works too. That's how I became a fan. I could say a stalker because I just, you know, <laughs> hunted you down, girl. But I will say, I'll say a fan. Okay. I'll say a fan. I so appreciate your time today, April. Thank you. It's so good. So good to be here. Thanks so much for having me. I really oh, I so appreciate you. Golly, y'all. That episode was awesome. I had so many key takeaways, as I often do with most of my guests. So I am going to whittle it down to just three. But once again, if you enjoyed that chat with April, I do highly recommend her book, Obviously Awesome, and you can buy it wherever books are sold. I liked it because it did take me out of what I typically read. But I will say, she's not talking about coding or anything crazy like that in the book. So even though she comes from the tech world, she gives lots of great examples, great stories that we can all understand to help clarify what it means to position your product so that your best fit customers actually get it and want to buy it from you. Okay, key takeaway number one, know who your competitors are in your customers' minds. That's key, in your customers' minds. Oftentimes, we think that we are competing, for example, me, with other copywriters. And yet, I find that many of my clients don't know anything about copywriting. They've come to me because of a friend of a friend or because their best friend has used me in the past and they didn't even know somebody like me existed. So my competitors are not often other copywriters, but is actually no action. Yeah, my competitors are, my major competitor is that people continue doing their own copywriting. And many of you may find that, or you may find that who you think you're competing with in your customers' minds once you sit down and say, well, you know, why did you choose me? Or what would you do if I didn't offer this service? Or if you didn't buy this product from me? You might be surprised by their answers. So it's definitely worth having those conversations with your best customers, customers that you want to continue coming back. Because there's two reasons. Number one, it lets us know how we need to be marketing. For me, I have to do a lot of education about what a copywriter does. Now, if I was selling soaps, I wouldn't have to do a lot of educating about soaps. Now, I will back this up. If my soaps had a particular product in it, or maybe it was absent of certain products that are that are bad for us or that are typically found in soaps, well, then I may have to be doing some education about that. But let's get back to my example. As a copywriter, I do have to do lots of educating about what a copywriter is so that when people land on my Instagram and Facebook, they are like, oh, okay, wow, I didn't, I didn't even know this existed and I could hire somebody to do this. Another, another reason that you want to do 
that you want to know who your competitors are is because it helps you as a business owner to start figuring out your differentiating factors. What, why is it that my best customers choose me? And when you do ask them, like, what would you do if you didn't purchase that service or product from me? When you get their answers, that is going to start revealing to you why you stand out in their eyes. I love this. This is very, this is towards the end of the book, but April writes, understanding what your best customers see as true alternatives to your solution will lead you to your differentiators. So by knowing what your customer really sees as, as a, I'm sorry, let me back up and say, knowing what your customer sees as a true option, something other than you, will help you figure out why it is that you stand out. It's definitely worth the conversations with your best customers. Okay, key takeaway number two, products and services can often be positioned multiple ways. I think that's where a lot of us business owners get get it wrong. We create a service or a product and in our heads, this is the problem that we're solving. And we really probably start with great intentions. But once our customers start buying from us, or maybe it doesn't fly off the shelf and no one's buying from us, or very few people are buying from us, we have to entertain the idea that we can position this differently. And one of the best things we can do, again, is to talk to the people who have bought from us. So even if we've only bought two, if only if you've sold two or three of them, it is definitely work ha- worth having those conversations to say, hey, why did you buy this? How are you using this to make your life easier, to make your life better? And then listen closely because it is in those conversations that you, as a business owner with an open mind, can start thinking, oh, this is how they're using it. I didn't foresee that. I'll go back with that silly example from the beginning of this podcast episode with toilet paper. You know, as a creator of toilet paper, we assume that people are going to use it in the bathroom. But if it was up to my eight and six-year-old, they would be using it as stackable uh, columns. (laughs) They can easily make columns that support their Hot Wheels tracks. So it's in those conversations with our customers that we start to see how they're using our service or product. And it's key. It's very important, especially if our service and product is not selling the way we wanted it to sell. It could be positioning. It could be. And then my last key takeaway was one I really did not see coming. It was April's part April's chat about copycats. We, leading up to this, I always send my guests possible questions so that they can be prepared. I have kind of an outline, but of course, our conversations, you know, weave and bob and twirl all around. And so we landed on that part about copycats. And I loved April's confidence about, you know what? (laughs) Let them try. I also really loved how she talked about telling some businesses no. 
and that those businesses ended up being some of her best recommenders. And I thought a lot about that when we got finished with that conversation after I'd stopped recording. And I think the reason is, is because it shows that she can be trusted. April's fees are not cheap. She could have easily taken their money. But instead, she did something honorable and said in several situations, that's not the best use of your money right now. Check back with me in a couple of years. Or after you've done this, this, and this, maybe we'll be a good fit. And so right there, by being honest and true to her own business, knowing what she is really good at, she built trust with companies that she didn't even do business with. And so therefore, when their business friends are talking to them, they're like, oh my goodness, you need to talk to this April girl. She's a fantastic consultant on how you're going to position this piece of technology. I just think that speaks volumes for the know, like, and trust factor that we see all over marketing conversations. And they're right. There's nothing wrong with talking about the know, like, and trust factor. I talk about it myself. But there is a great example of building that and you didn't even do business with them. A side note though is, of course, you can get to that point of your business by to tell people no when your business has matured. You know, April started in the corporate world doing marketing and doing positioning. She's actually got an engineering background, but she found herself doing those things in the corporate world and then became a consultant. So with all of those years of experience, she has matured her business to the point that she really knows her consulting works best when a company has this, 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 and this in place. And she can confidently say that. Of course, if you're just starting out or you're just trying a new arm of your business, you have to learn that from experience. So of course, you're going to say yes to situations that Hindsight, you shouldn't. And you may even say no to situations that you think to yourself, why didn't I say yes? But I do think that our ultimate goal is to mature our business so that we can look confidently at potential clients and know whether we can help them with our service or product or whether we can't. I did not see that part of our conversation happening, but I'm so glad that it did because I really held on to that. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with April Dunford. I learned a lot. Once again, her book is called Obviously Awesome. Now, in this conversation, she talked a lot about best fit customers. I call them ideal customers. Same meaning. You know how I feel about knowing your ideal customer. And I created a short course called Creating Your Ideal Customer Story. And when you finish that course, it's only about two hours. So if we factor in some time of you stopping and starting, we'll say in under three hours, you will end with a document that tells you all about your ideal customer. Now this document is important because when you sit down to write emails, social media posts, product descriptions, service descriptions, you can visualize a real person an actual persona. Now, of course, you're not going to do business with one person, but this one person represents your best fit customers, the customers that you want to continue to attract to your business. And one of the, the pitfalls that I see so many of my clients and myself falling into 
is not knowing our ideal customer. We're just talking to a bunch of people and just hoping that somebody is going to step up and say, hey, I want to buy this from you. Well, we know that that's not how it works, especially in this saturated market that we all live in now. So one of the things we can do is to get very clear about who it is that we serve. And then, of course, as we get clear about that, that is going to help us position our service and products. Talk about it in a way, talk about our service and products in a way that makes sense to our customers. Once again, if you're interested in this course, head to inspiretoengage.com forward slash online courses. Inspiretoengage.com forward slash online courses. It's currently $20. You cannot beat that price for the amount of education and peace of mind that you will get. Okay, I'm about done. But before I'm done, if you like this podcast, please rate or review it. You know how important that is to small businesses and to podcasts like this one. I appreciate you so much for listening to this. And especially if you are still here, have a good one. I'll see you. I'll talk to you in the next episode. Bye.